When I first started following Jesus, when I first started to really start to figure out what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, I was always fascinated by one of the stories in the Old Testament about the guy named David. See, David's cool because David was a giant slayer. David was a warrior. David was a worship leader. David was the king. But I also liked even the sad parts of David's life. David was the murderer. David was the liar. David was just a shepherd boy. But all the while, the most important title that David ever received was that David was a man after God's own heart. What a title. What a legacy to be known for. After all the ups and downs of life, this guy David is known as a man after God's own heart. And I've always wondered, how is that possible? With all those screw-ups, with all those ups and downs, because if we were being honest in the room today, if we were to write down all the things that David did and all of his actions, I don't know if we can come to a consensus that we would all agree that this guy is known as a guy after God's own heart. But yet this is how God refers to David. It wasn't just people, but God himself says, he is a man after my own heart. How did David become this? And how did he remain this way? The story of David has so many twists and turns that when you look at it as a whole, like we've been doing over the past few weeks, you begin to see how messed up of a guy David was. But you also begin to see how much hope David had when it came to his relationship with God. Think about how David's story begins. We went over this a few weeks ago. All the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, this prophet named Samuel who speaks for God goes to this dad named Jesse. And he goes to him saying, we're looking for a new king. And he goes all through Jesse's sons, and he just goes down the line. They line up Jesse's sons, and he begins to pray for them. Is, is this the one? No. Is this the one? No. Not him. Not him. Definitely not him. And he goes down the line. Okay, it's not him. It's not him. Finally, Samuel says, after not feeling from God that any of these guys are meant to be the next king, he asks the dad, Jesse, is there anybody else? God sent me here. There has to be somebody else. I know I'm here for a reason. Are there any other kids that you have that maybe you've forgotten? And Samuel at this point must be thinking, do I really hear from God? Because literally you're saying no to everyone that's been presented to me. And Jesse, the dad, responds by saying, well, they're still the youngest, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Does this show you how highly they thought of David? Bring me all of your sons, but sheep boy, you can leave him in the field. He doesn't count. He really can't do much. He's scrawny. He smells like sheep. We don't need him. So they left him in the field. Samuel tells him, go get him. Then David uh, comes. He's brought to Samuel. And finally God says, this is the one. This is the one. Anoint him. And David, this 10-year-old boy or so, is anointed to be the next king. Now, if you've been following along with us in this series, you know how the rest of the story goes. David does not become king at this moment. He does not become the 10-year-old king, although they are there in Scripture. It would be another 20 years or so before David would become king. He would deal with a giant. He would deal with a spear-throwing king who's jealous of his success and who tries to kill him. He goes through being on the run and having a chance to take the throne. All the while, he has one thing that stays with him. A promise. A promise that God, 
has chosen him to be the rightful king of Israel. Could you imagine hearing a promise and it not coming to completion until 20 years from today? We live in a world of instant gratification and instant results. Think about this. Fast food chains everywhere. It's in the name, fast foods. Unless it's Chick-fil-A, and that's quick dining. That's not much different. We have self-checkout. We went from TV, TV with commercials that you couldn't skip to streaming. And now if you pay a certain amount a month, you won't have to watch ads and you can enjoy your program uninterrupted. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, but, but really, who, watch, who watches TV anymore? No one. In a world of streaming, we're not sitting there watching TV. Does anyone remember when TV shows would air weekly? I remember being a middle schooler watching one of my favorite shows, and you know what it would say at the end of the show? Next time on Dragon Ball Z. It was always like next week you'd find out the answer. And I was like, ah, I wonder if this is going to happen. For all of my favorite shows, it was crazy. I would watch one episode and then be a whole other week until I found out what the next part was. Now in the land of Netflix and Hulu and YouTube, we are in a binge culture. We can watch a whole series in a week. And maybe if you're like me, if you really put your mind to it, you could finish a whole series in a day. Now, Netflix has this new thing where you can watch part of the season and then it stops for a few months and will release the next half later. And I, now at 30 years old, get so angry when that happens. I'm no longer used to waiting. Waiting, what do you mean? I want it now. No, I need it now. So I will actually, if I see there's a part one and a part two, I won't watch it. I will wait until the whole thing is released so I can finish it in a day. We text because it's faster than email, which is faster than a letter. We no longer can watch a whole movie, so we watch a one-minute clip of the highlights. Pastor Jimmy actually texted me. He's like, is that true? I was like, yes. Last week, I watched the whole Forrest Gump movie in one-minute clips on TikTok. <laughs> and it was great. I was missing a lot of the plot. We measure insights on videos by seeing how much attention we grabbed in the first three seconds. Something even happened in my generation. This idea of waiting kind of went away. We see this a lot in the workforce, where we go to school, we work hard to get into college, we do our time there, and then that dreaded day comes, graduation, and when we get out of college, it's time to step into our career, and so many of my friends went from graduation day to calling me and saying, can you believe they didn't make me CEO of the company on the first day? How many of my friends and school acquaintances would complain about how this business doesn't know that they're a visionary and they're the idea guy, they're not a coffee runner. We live in a binge now, fast paced, get quick results culture. Imagine then being told that your life is radically going to change and you're gonna go from poverty to riches, from nothing to everything, from lonely to popular, from empty to full, from rags to riches, from shepherd to king, I promise, but, You'll have to wait with no definition of how long it will be and no idea when this will finally happen. David wasn't told when this promise would be fulfilled. He just had to wait. How many of us have been in a period of waiting and we don't know when that end is coming? The waiting time can feel slower than reality. Waiting for the news of that final test to know if you actually will graduate from that class waiting for that announcement if the mother and baby are going to be okay and healthy. Waiting in that waiting room for the doctor to come out and give you the results to know if you're going to be okay. 
Waiting can feel slow. And in the waiting, time can feel endless. It's in this waiting that it's easy to start asking questions. How do I know if God's really for me? Does God actually hear my prayers? Because I've been praying about this for a long time. Does God even still care that I'm sitting here in the waiting? In 1 Samuel chapter 6, God doesn't tell David, Okay, David, I've chosen you. 20 years from now, I will fulfill all of this. He just tells Samuel, go anoint him as king. I don't know about you, but my wife will tell you that I can't stand being in the time of the unknown. I'm a person who needs to know exactly how the plan is going to go. I want to know the details of what time are we leaving, what time will we get there, and what's expected of me. It's, my wife will tell you, I really hate surprise parties because I have nothing to do in the in-between. I know we're in the car, we're going somewhere, and she refuses to tell me where. But when it comes to God, you rarely see that. When you look at these amazing stories of the Bible, and how many times it's just a glimpse of the next step, a promise of faithfulness, and then a waiting period. God says, hey, I'm going to do this in your life. But I'm not going to tell you how, I'm not going to tell you when, you just got to trust me. So from now, from the promise I told you, you're going to have to wait. We have so many examples of this. Abraham was promised a son. Yet it would be 25 years before he would have a son. Joseph was promised that one day his family would bow down to him and that he would be the savior of his family. And he had to wait 13 years before that actually happened. Moses had to wait 40 years following God literally day by day before he saw the promised land. And the kicker was he wasn't even allowed to go in. And David waited almost 20 years before God would fulfill his promise. But why? What's the point of waiting? In 1 Samuel 16, David is anointed one day to be king. And from that moment on, his life would be crazy. His life would have so many plot twists and twists and turn. From that point on, he faces a giant who threatens the people of Israel. And while everyone else cowers away, David, this maybe 15-year-old boy, runs into battle going, are we going to let this guy talk about God like this? This guy's no match for God. David learns in the waiting that a true king runs into battle because he already knows who has the victory. Because, the victory David is because of this victory, David is now known by Saul. And in chapter 19, Saul tries to kill David with spears. You talked about that last week. King Saul throws a spear after spear at David, and David learns how to deal with difficult people and deal with difficult situations. Deal with destructive people who won't listen and love to throw spears. In chapter 20, David learns the meaning of friendship. Honoring our promises that we make, and we see that in the relationship he had with his best friend, Jonathan. In this waiting, David learns who is for him, who supports him, and who's against him. It's in the waiting to be king that David learns in chapter 24 what mercy is as he spares Saul's life. In chapter 26, in the waiting, he learns to trust God over trusting himself when he becomes becoming king. David could have rushed the process. He knew from a young age, I'm going to be king. Saul let me into the palace. He could have killed Saul in his sleep and just taken the throne. He had that opportunity in the cave. There were so many times that David could have just taken it for himself. But instead, David waited. David waited on a promise from God that had no timeline. And in the waiting, he learned 
to trust God. It was all in the waiting, in this waiting that David learned what a true king was supposed to be. Courageous, discerning, righteous, merciful, and God-fearing. If God would have just made him king at that young age, he would have missed out on all of the stuff that God was teaching him in the waiting. This reminds me of that Karate Kid movie where Mr. Miyagi is teaching Daniel how to wash cars and paint houses and sweep floors. And all the while, Daniel is getting more and more frustrated. He goes, I just want to kick butt, Mr. Miyagi. What are we doing with this wax on, wax off kind of thing? But in the waiting, he was learning. The whole time David was in the waiting, he learned that God was with him in the waiting too. So you guys ready to start this, the message? In 2 Samuel 2, or in 2 Samuel chapter 1, Saul dies, and not by the hand of David. Because David trusted in God the whole time, so David never took Saul's life. But in battle, Saul dies. And now, in 2 Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says this. After this, David asked the Lord, should I move back to one of the towns of Judah? Finally, after all this time and all the waiting, Saul finally dies, and David asks God, is it time now? Is the waiting over? And God says, yes, the Lord replied. And then David asked, which town should I go to? To Hebron, the Lord answered. And then when you go all the way to chapter 5, it says, then all of the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, we are your own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the one who really led the forces of Israel. And the Lord told you, you will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. So there at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all of the elders of Israel, and they anointed him king of Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years in all. First off, I am 30, and I do not feel like I can run a kingdom. But I can try. Think about that. David is now king of Israel. All this time of waiting was over. And through this process, David learned that God is faithful. That God keeps his promises. That God is refining us in the waiting. David would one day go on to write this in Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. God is in the waiting. God is in your waiting. And in this waiting, we can learn to be brave. We can learn to be courageous. It's in the waiting that we are tested and we can see where our faith really does lie. We can find out where we actually put our trust in. Are you willing to wait in the waiting on the promise that God gave you? What's amazing about waiting is it allows us to trust God. In the waiting is when you say those questions, I don't know what you're doing, God. I don't know how you're going to do it, but in the waiting, I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to look for you. I'm going to rely on you. And in the waiting, I'm going to trust you. The waiting pr produces endurance and perseverance. It's in the waiting that we go and have those deep moments with God saying, I don't know how this is going to happen. But I know if I just trust in you, you have my life in your hands. And it's better in your hands than in my own. In the waiting, I'm going to look for you. In the waiting, I'm going to trust you. And when we are that dependent on God, 
when you're in the waiting, when you're going through the day to day and you're that dependent on God, it gives him opportunity to move in your life and show us how much he actually does care for us. Too many people today, I think, are unwilling to do the coffee step of life. Just in a career form. Let's step out of the spirituality and step right into just kind of career mode. Where we're saying, we're going to be CEO one day. We graduate from college, I'm going to run the company. And when we get hired, we realize we're only the coffee getter. We can complain and say, they don't know anything about me and my value and what I bring to the table. Going through life saying, I'm only getting the coffee. But if we changed our focus and go, what can I learn while I'm here at the table just bringing the coffee? While I'm in this waiting to have a career, what, I'm, what am I learning just being the coffee getter? It's in this learning I'm learning the ins and outs of the business. I'm learning the culture. I'm learning how to form ideas and create new things. That happens all while being in the waiting and getting the coffee. We say, but I studied, and I got the school loan. I can run this better. But when you are the coffee getter in a company that you think you can run, the biggest thing you learn is humility. And you can learn that in the waiting. Someone who's saying there's no job beneath me is a lot better than someone saying, I won't do that because of a title I have. Now let's step back into the spirituality. You may be so focused right now on where you're not in life. I thought it was going to be like this. I had goals and dreams and aspirations, and I feel like I'm just waiting to get there. My question for you is, while you're in the waiting, what are you learning? While you're in the suffering, what are you learning? Some of us are in the waiting when it comes to our healing. When we read scriptures, we're like, God, I've seen the doctors. I'm praying the prayers, but I'm sitting here. I'm still suffering with no answers. What's he teaching you in the waiting that we can rely on him? That he says he promises, he promises that one day you will be healed. Whether it is in this life or whether it's in the next when you're standing face to face with him. He promises, I promise you, you will be healed. That sometimes healing is his plan on earth even though we don't understand it. And sometimes your suffering can even bring him glory even though we don't understand it. Because one of his promises is that he will do good for those who love him. Jesus guarantees us by his stripes we are healed. And we can hold on to that promise even when we don't know how long it will be. We are in the waiting as we wait for that friend or family member to finally know the truth of the gospel and follow Jesus. But we're thinking the whole time and we're praying about how God, I keep giving them the daily Bible verses. I keep reading the books with them. I've given them so many Bibles over the year. I've invited them to Easter service so many times and I can keep explaining Jesus over and over and over again. And it's not clicking. They will not surrender to you. I don't know what to do. What are we learning in that kind of waiting? We learn God's mercy. We learn that God's compassion for people and our desperate hope for that person to know Christ is the same desire that God has for those who think they're way too far off from God, who we even can feel like they'll never accept God. God's saying, no, the way you feel about that one person is how I feel about them. We learn this in the waiting. We learn his love. 
when we are in the waiting, as we may be waiting for that marriage to heal, to be better, to be more loving and caring, and through the tears and the fights, as we wait for it to be better, we learn what it means to have unconditional love for someone. Saying no matter what's going to happen, I'm going to wait this out with you, even when it hurts. God can do a lot in the waiting. But where's your focus at? Is your focus on the time? Think about it. Have you ever tried to be, I can think about it when I was in school, and I was just waiting for the bell to ring, and I would look at the clock, and it would feel like hours would go by, but really it was only probably a minute until the bell rang. When you're so focused on the clock, when you're so focused on the timeline, it's been a year, it's been 10 years, it's been 15 years, time can be endless. When you focus on God and his promises and your trust in him, it'll come and you can have hope. God does a lot in the waiting. Before David was king, he was a shepherd boy. Between being a shepherd boy and king, he was a harp player. Between being a harp player and king, he was a warrior and a refugee. All of it, God using to refine, to prepare, and to train David into the king that he one day would be. To go down as Israel's greatest king ever. So when did David become a man after God's own heart? It was in the waiting. This is the place where God shaped David. Through the ups and through the downs. When mistakes were made, David always went back to God. Because he could hold on to the promise that God had for him. David learned that God is faithful to his promises. David learned that God is always faithful to his promises. But what about the promises God makes that we won't see the result of? Some promises... Some waiting seems like it's never going to end and the promise may never come. And maybe because it won't happen in our lifetime. Can we still trust God in that kind of waiting too? David also had to wrestle with this. If you have your Bibles, flip with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. David is now king. He fought wars He brought peace to the country, and now God is going to give David a different kind of promise. He says this, When King David was settled in his palace, the Lord had given him rest from all of the surrounding enemies. Verse 2, The king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I'm living in this beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Finally, there was some peace in the land. David could rest from his enemies. And as he looks around at his life and he reflects on things, he realizes, wow, God has been so good. And here I am. I've made it. But the ark of God that's been with us the whole time is still in a tent. It's time to build something better. It's time to build the house of the Lord. Let's build God a temple. It continues in verse 3. Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I've never lived in a house from the day that I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. I've always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I've gone with the Israelites, I've never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. 
I have never asked, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? This is showing David's relationship with God because he genuinely loved God. And while all the other people were just letting God's presence stay in a tent, David looks at his life and goes, wait, I don't want to be a king that builds my palace bigger than God's. So he says, because he was in the waiting, because he knew God intimately in the waiting, he goes, I want to build him a temple. I want to build him a house. And in verse 8, it says, Now go and say to my servant David, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in a pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I've destroyed all of your enemies before your eyes. God here wants to remind David of his story. I've taken you from shepherd to king. Reminding him of all the times he kept his promises, all the times he was there for them. God wanted to show David how faithful he has been and that now he's going to make him a new promise. Pay attention to this. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who's ever lived on the earth. I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they'll never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past. Starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Did you catch all that? Because it's kind of hard to understand. God starts with a promise for David that a time of rest is coming, and a home is coming for his people, and he's going to keep them safe. And all the promises David's going to one day see, calm in the kingdom, peace in the kingdom. But God continues in his promises. Let's keep going. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you. And he's talking to David. A dynasty of kings, for when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. And I will be his father, and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. That's the promise, that your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. God is saying, David, I was there for you back in the day, and I'm here for you now, but I'm promising you that something is going to change your life, and the lives of those around you forever. God makes a promise to David that someone from his line, from his lineage, is going to be raised up and will be the one to build God's temple. And God is making a promise to David that David's never going to see. David's going to die, and once he's good and buried, God's going to continue to raise up an offspring that will build his house and that will sit on a throne forever. Now we can think, wait, isn't that, is he, isn't he talking about Solomon? It goes deeper than that. David offers to build God a house, and God comes back and promises to build David a house. We do later learn that David's son Solomon builds a house for the Lord, and he builds a temple. But what God is saying here has much more depth than building a temple. Solomon building the temple was only part of the promise. There is more here than talking about a temple. This is more than talking about a promise for his physical son. This is God saying, I'm doing something so great, you won't see it, but you'll really want to. Remember all the times I came through before? Remember the giants, the bad king, the armies, the caves? 
and all the times I was faithful, I will be faithful in this. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. What does it mean that God was going to establish a throne forever? And if David couldn't see it, why should he even care about this? Why would God make a promise that David would never see? The reason he does this, at least I believe, this is thus says will, is hope in a promise is incredibly powerful. When we are in the waiting and when we are in the hoping, our entire worldview changes. See, David from this point forward will be anchored and tethered to God. David will go on to make so many mistakes and David is gonna fall and he's gonna fall far and he's gonna stumble often. But what we see about David is because of this promise, because for the rest of his life, he will remember that God promised he's gonna establish this throne forever. Because of his hope in a faithful God who keeps his promises, David always came back to God. Every time David fall, would fall, he would get up and say, God, I'm sorry. Help me to be different. He would stumble and he would go back to God and say, God, I need you to clean my heart and make it like yours. He would fall and he would go back to God and say, you need to break my heart for what breaks yours. He continued to go back to God because David always continued to hope in God and he always continued to trust in God. This is what makes David truly a man after God's own heart because David was anchored in the promise that one day God will be faithful and rise up someone who will reign forever. That God would call this person he raises up a son and God would be his father. That's what we're celebrating today. Today is a day when we're celebrating Palm Sunday. The reason we celebrate this and we get the palms on our way out and all these things is to remember a promise that God gave David all the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that I will establish a throne forever and I will be that person's father and they will be my son. Check out Matthew chapter 21 with me. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say to the Lord needs them. And when he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a fowl, a beast, a burden. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This, this verse, this moment where Jesus is walking in on a donkey into Jerusalem, this is the moment, this is the fulfillment of the promise. Notice what they call him. They say, Hosanna or praise, praise the son of David. 
Praise the son of David. This is almost 900 years after David. It's in this moment. From 2 Samuel 7 all the way to Matthew 21, about 900 years that the rightful king enters his city. So when we sing Hosanna, and when we worship Jesus and have our palms, we're remembering the promise. We're remembering who Jesus is, the Son of God, the King, the promised one. Today, today we remember that God is always faithful to his promises. Amen? When we look at days like today, like Palm Sunday, we remember that God always keeps and will fulfill his promise. When we go into next week, we go and we remember because Jesus dies and rose again that God is always faithful to his promises. God still fulfills his promises and God will always keep his promise. But here's the thing. Like David, we have promises from God that we might not see fulfilled in our lifetime. Like David, there are moments that we are going to be in the waiting. We will see promises fulfilled, but also like David, God is promising us things that we may never see here on our time on earth. I think about a promise that Jesus makes in John 16, where he tells his disciples, hey, I'm going. I've been with you, but now I got to go, and it's better for you that I go. But as I'm going, no, I'm preparing a place for you. And that promise he gives to them is a promise for us, that he's going to prepare a place for us, for you and for me. And all those who've put in our faith in Jesus, he's preparing a place for us. He says his house has many rooms. God isn't absent from my life. He's preparing a place for me. And I have to hold on to that. When I'm in suffering, and when I don't understand what's going on, I just got to dwell on and think, but he's preparing a place for me. I can hold on to that promise. You can hold on to that promise because God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Even though you won't see that fulfilled here on earth in that format. We're just having to trust that when that day comes, because we've put in our faith in Jesus, he will say, I've prepared a place for you. I can't see that in my time on earth. But I can hope in it. And I can look back at all of the stories from this book and say, wow, God's always kept his end of the bargain. God's always kept his promises. The Bible is filled with promises like this. This is one of the reasons why we want everyone to be reading this scripture together. One of my favorite promises that the Bible teaches us is actually probably on the last page of your Bible. It's in Revelation chapter 22. And Jesus says something that we all have to pay attention to. He says this in verse 7 of chapter 22. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. And then if you jump to verse 12, he says, look. I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and the beginning and the end. And then when you go all the way to verse 20, Jesus says this at the end of the letter, at the end of all of Scripture. Yes, I am coming soon. Jesus is 
coming soon. And for 2,000 years, which seems like a very long time, people have been hoping in this promise. And just like David, we may never see this in our lifetime. So why does it matter then? If it might not happen for me, why should this impact my life? Because there's hope in the promise. We don't have to worry. We don't have to debate or question if Jesus comes back. Because God has proven time and time again that he keeps his promises. It's not if Jesus comes back. It's a matter of when. And we who have put our hope in him, if you say, I'm following Jesus, and I believe that, yes, he is coming soon, let me tell you right now, you are in the waiting. We're waiting. And remember what we said. God is with us in the waiting. Jesus even promises that when he's gone, preparing that place for us and saying, don't worry, I'm going to come for you soon, that he leaves his Holy Spirit with us and will be with us until the very end of the age. In this time, God is in the waiting. And in this time, he's refining us. He's preparing us. My hope in God's promises change my life. My hope and waiting in this promise that Jesus, God, is coming soon should become my lens and framework in which I see everything in this world and in which I see everything around me. When I'm suffering, I know although this is hard and this is difficult, I have hope and joy because Jesus is coming soon. When I'm talking to the people at the gym or on a run or the cashier at Shopper, I can remember Jesus is coming soon. Imagine our lives if we truly understood and had hope and a promise right now that we are waiting for Jesus to come and redeem everything and bring us to him where Jesus will be our God and we will be his people and he will wipe every single tear from our eyes. When we're focused on the promises of God, worship becomes more fueling. It's no longer just singing a song, Hosanna, Hosanna. But when I'm focused, wait, he's coming soon? Hosanna in the highest. I get to worship a God who's with me in the waiting. How we treat others and love one another will change. Because we're like, man, he's coming soon. I want you to know about him. When we come to church, it's not just going through the routine, but we're coming here every Sunday and declaring, we're waiting for him to return. I'm so excited you're here with me because our God's gonna return. And whatever you're going through, it's okay because God's gonna come back. And whatever I'm going through, it's okay because he's coming soon. It will change how we raise our children and the priorities we put things that we deem important because we want them to know, hey, there's a promise coming. And if it's in not my lifetime, it might be in yours or in your children. So you have to get this. You have to know this. The reason we go to church on Sunday, the reason we pray with people, the reason we always are crying saying we can't wait for him to come back is because he's coming back. Could you imagine if that was the forefront, the priority of your family that you're thinking about, hey, there's a promise that you need to know when you grow up that Jesus is coming back one day because he loves you and wants to wipe the tears from your eyes. When we are focused on that, when we're focused on Jesus is coming soon, let me tell you, our desire for sin will lessen. And our desire for Jesus is going to grow. We want to read his word, not because we feel like we have to check a box. 
We read his word because you want to know all about his coming and his character and his personality and what he's asking of us. When we focus on his coming, we want to repent because we know he's coming soon. He's, he's coming. And I want him to know that I've been waiting for him. So if I fall and I stumble like David, I want to go back to God and say, hey, I'm so sorry. Don't think I'm not caring. I do care. I'm sorry. Make me more like you because I want to be ready for the day you come. Our prayer is that we're not found sleeping, but we're found awake saying, God, I did the things you asked of me and I've been waiting for you. Today, ask yourself, are you living a life that says, hey, I'm waiting for the return of my Savior? Or are we simply just going through the motions going like, yeah, one day he'll come back. I hope it's cool. I know there's going to be moments we fall, moments we stumble. And I'm sure there'll be moments when we get lost along the way. But when we think about that promise and think of the hope we can know God loves us and our Savior is coming back for us. Don't you want to live in a manner worthy of the gospel? And the gospel isn't just he died and rose again. It's he died, he rose again, and he's coming back for us, and he promised us that. We have to get this, church. We have to understand this. That like Jesus, who came in as the true king of Israel to the promise given to David, Jesus is coming back as the true king of all kings because of the promise he gave to us. This is why we celebrate Palm Sunday. To thank God for fulfilling his promises then and to thank God for the promise he's fulfilling now. This is what can make us people after God's own heart by putting our hope and trust in him. When we focus on his promises, we will naturally become people after God's own heart. If you ever looked at the story of David and said, after all of that mess up, how was he known as a guy after God's own heart? Because he never let go of the promise. Today, if you think you're too far off, you're too far gone, you already sang at like champion on Saturday and Monday you already screwed up entirely, if you just focus on the promise, everything will fall into place. Seek first the kingdom and all other things will be added to you. We have to put our hope in him, put our trust in him, and focus on his promise. And we will naturally become a people group, a church after God's own heart. Because it's about Jesus. All of this is about Jesus. Yes, let me tell you today, Jesus is coming soon. And today you have an opportunity to be part of that promise. If you're like, I've never put my faith in Jesus. I've gone through the motions. I've sat in the sea all these years, but I've never thought about the promise. I didn't even care about the promise. Today, will you turn to God and say, I'm ready, God. I, I want to follow you. I don't even know what it means, but I want to do it. That's my prayer for you today. It could be later today that we see Jesus coming in on the clouds. Or it can be in my son's lifetime. Or maybe his son's. When was the last time you sat and really began to think of this promise that Jesus our Savior is coming back soon for us? 
as the worship team comes back on, I want you to think about that. When was the last time you focused on the promise that Jesus our Savior is coming back soon for us? What does this mean? Do you understand the impact of that sentence? That Jesus is coming soon. Nothing else should ever leave our lips if we're talking about Jesus. It should never end and he died and rose again. He died and rose again and he's coming back for you. Do you believe that? Do you hold on to that? That your king is coming? Until that amazing day, we remember that promise through communion. When we do this, we're remembering what Jesus did for us. We're actively obeying in his commands. And it reminds us that he did this for us. He died for us. He rose again for us. And he's coming back again for us. It says this in 1 Corinthians 11. On that night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat the bread and drink the cup, watch this, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. When we do communion, when we come up here and we dip the bread into the, the, the cup, we're saying, I'm remembering your body being broken. I'm remembering your blood being shed. And I'm waiting for you to come. So that's why this is so serious. Before you come up to the table, before after I pray, take a moment and think, when was the last time you said, Jesus, I'm hoping you come soon. Jesus, I'm hoping in your promise. And God, I'm acknowledging you in my waiting. So whether you're waiting for that healing, or you're waiting for that marriage to heal, or you're waiting for whatever you're waiting for, is your hope put in God or in the timeline? This morning, I pray you put it in God. Will you stand with me as we pray? Jesus, thank you for your body being broken for us, for your blood being shed for us, and that you invite us to this table, those who have put our faith in you. As we do this, God, may we reflect on your promises and know that you are a God who's faithful. Because every time we eat this bread and drink from this cup, we are announcing, Lord, your death until you come again. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray.